ways, it really is the heart of Europe. After a rocky 20th century, Germany has become a country that knows how to make things work. With a close eye on the lessons of history, Germans are making human rights a priority. They're the second largest foreign aid donors in the world after the United States. And Germany's dynamic cities and fairy tale scenery, complete with castles and cathedrals, can be accessed by an efficient transportation system that pulls it all together. To help make a great getaway in Germany this year, we're joined by three German tour guides to take your calls at 877 333 7425. Holger Zimmer works as a producer at Culture Radio in Berlin when he's not guiding visitors around his country. Carolina Marburger was raised as a country girl in rural Germany, but has made Berlin her home now for many years. And Fabian Reuger was raised in the Rhineland, witnessed the fall of the wall when he lived in Berlin, and he now takes Americans around his home country for a living. Carolina, Holger, Fabian, welcome. Thanks for having us, Rick. I know you're basically you live in Berlin now, but what's your story in, in Germany, uh, Holger? Yeah, my background basically is in journalism, so I work in radio. That's what I do all year round, but I do tours so that's okay. what I do for a living. And, and you're a Berlin, a Berlin boy. I'm Berlin guide as well, yes. Mm-hmm. I do tours right there. Carolina, mm-hmm. where are you from and what's your story? Well, I grew up in the middle of Germany, so of what formerly was West Germany, mm-hmm. um, in a small village, very small village, very countryside, far away from any bigger city or highway. And then after finishing high school, I desperately had to go somewhere where not everyone is acquainted with my parents on a first-name basis. So (laughs) I had to go to Berlin. That was furthest away and studied history there for a long, long time. Okay, you're in Berlin now. I'm in Berlin now, and uh, because I need to bump up my PhD scholarship at some point, and I started tour guiding then and fell in love with it. Fell in love with tour guiding. Yes. Very cool. And Fabian Reuger, where are you from, and and, uh, what's your heritage? I grew up in the Rhineland, so the far west of Germany, west Mm -hmm. of the Rhine, which... uh, The people who lived there considered the really good part of Germany because it was the part that was touched by the Romans when they came up there. The Romans did, of course, not go to the eastern side of the Rhine. And uh, to this day, if you live on the west of the Rhine, you call the east of the Rhine side the foul side. That was the barbarians. The barbarians. That's right. (laughs) Uh, We all ended up in Berlin Berlin in uh, 1987 to start studying. And so I lived in Berlin when the wall fell, which was fantastic. And that drew me into history. So I began studying history, which strangely lured me away from Berlin. So I actually moved to California to do a PhD in Uh European history. And I moved back to Berlin and then saw the change that happened in that city. Berlin has changed, I think, reasonable to say, more than any great city in Europe in the last generation. This is a tumultuous time in Europe with the EU, with Britain voting to go away, with uh, refugees, with some financial crises. Germany dominates the EU, is quite the leader of the EU economically. And uh, what's the feeling right now from Germany about how the EU is going uh, and, and Germany's role in the EU? Well, I think there's a lot of anxiety also in Germany. I think that if you ask several Germans, there was, of course, even among our society, it's a bit of a question of age and background. But basically, I think many people are feeling quite European Um, They might feel sort of asked too much to be the leading force, which they think they didn't ever sign up for or ask for, and somewhat be perceived in a way that particularly our history sort of has taught us not to dominate again. And basically, that's why many people are a bit unsure what this is. But I think many people have asked me if you think that the Germans would do what the Brits just did, if they would opt out of the European Union, and I really think that would never happen. I really think that the Germans are really bound, as much as they are critical of certain things uh-huh. in the European Union, I think it's Germans do Germany. think, yeah. I've known people that are critical, and I think there's good reasons to be critical and questioning certain things in the EU, but I do not think that they would go as far 
Yeah, and also, I mean, if you look at the map, like we're right in the center of things, not like we're the center of the universe, but just like we're in the middle, like surrounded by neighbors, and we're going to work with them, and we, we like to work with them. And that's that's the good idea about the European yeah. Union to say, hey, let's, we had so many wars in history, like centuries and centuries ago, and now we say, let's work together with France mm-hmm. and the Netherlands and Poland, our big neighbor in the East. What a concept. So this is a beautiful, youthful approach to peaceful coexistence. Germany, without trying to be the dominant factor, sort of by default because of many Strong reasons. Strong economy, yeah. Strong yeah. economy. And uh, everybody knows German and French economies woven together is good for peace. Britain has chosen to leave. That leaves Europe a little more cohesive, you could say. And it's interesting that you, you have that outlook. Fabian, when you think about uh, the future of the EU and Germany, just briefly, are, are you feeling good about it, or do you feel like there's an existential challenge for the EU? I think there's no doubt that there is a major challenge ahead. I think it can be overcome. Uh-huh. I think the majority of Germans, and that's part of this conundrum that we talked about, do not want Germany to be the bully of Europe. Mm. Right. But Germany is in the position of having the economic dominance, and that creates this conundrum. Uh, Germany does not want to lead for a very particular reason. When American or British newspapers ask Germany to show some leadership, well, the translation of the word leader in German is Führer, which was the title that Adolf Hitler assumed. Germany does not wish to be the leader of Europe because it wants Europe to be democratic, and therefore the decisions must be made in consensus. That's a very sensitive leadership role to say, okay, we're the most capable, we're the most wealthy, we could be the natural leader, but come on, you guys, let's do this together. Yeah, it's a community, it's a union that's made of like small countries with their own ideas, like all the new member states that joined and they were in the former Eastern Bloc, they were part of the Soviet Union. And now they're part of Western Europe. And they always wanted to be like Bulgaria. I remember I was in Bulgaria before they joined and they said, don't forget us. You know, you think we're down in the, in the farther southeast. No, but we are European too. And that's part of the fabric of Europe as we speak. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Germany and we're joined by three German tour guides, Holger Zimmer, Fabian Reuger, and Carolina Marburger. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And you can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. And Rich is calling from Miller Place in New York. Hey, Rich, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. How are you? I'm planning a trip to Germany, and I'm not sure if I want to finish up the last two spots, Dresden and Berlin. I was thinking about going to Prague. Can you give me an idea, you know, some positives about Dresden and Berlin that might sway me in staying on the itinerary that I had started? Well, with? you know, this is such a good question, Rich. And of course, most people know about Prague and Berlin, but Dresden is the unknown town that is uh, something worth considering. I'm going to let each of our guides share just a, a little bit of their impression of uh, Dresden. We'll start with Holger. Yeah, Dresden to me is is very dear because I visited it first in the early 90s when it was still completely run down and actually still the burden of the war was still visible. It's completely back on track. It has been renovated and it is a city that still has this amazing power of the Baroque city, of the the castles, the palaces, the artwork, you have wonderful paintings, painting galleries, you have this amazing view, the river runs right through it, there's a bridge going through it, and there's, like, you still see the panorama 
of what the landscape painters in the 1800s would see and paint. You can go and compare it in the gallery and then you go out, have a coffee out on the terrace and you see the same view with the same buildings. It's it's magical. So Dresden, I would recommend to go. Canaletto, the famous landscape artist, actually painted the beautiful... Absolutely. And, and Dresden is called the Florence on the Elba, the Elba River. It's got a former military rampart that is now supporting a terrace, which is just a people-friendly walk. Carolina, why would Dresden be called... Florence on the Elba? Well, because of its utter beauty, of course, created mostly by August the Strong, this beautiful Baroque city, whose part I mostly love are the churches, actually. Of course, the famously restructured Church of Our Lady. The the so that yeah. so was such mm. an emotional reconstruction that was, of course, destroyed in the um, rural air raids. However, my personal favorite is actually the Church of the Cross, which was ruined and has been reconstructed in the 50s. Uh-huh. And it's a very raw and uh, completely different and interesting also is the Catholic Court Church, which is, of course, different from the otherwise Protestant others. Yeah. That was a place where they had the processions inside because the Protestants would otherwise get angry outside. Now, this was the capital of Saxony, right? And, Indeed. And, and ruled by the Wetten dynasty for centuries. Were they primarily Catholic? Well, they had to be Catholic because of the Polish uh, kingdom. So he was kingdom of, of the... Saxony and Poland uh, and yes, together. Yes, indeed. Uh-huh, okay. And therefore, Catholicism, of course, was relevant. Fabian, when I think of Dresden, it seems like a city that's it's all black to me, and it's just like it was baked. And I think about how it was literally baked in the firestorm in 1945, right? Uh-huh. Tell us about the tragic end of World War II in Dresden. The uh, Allies, and particularly uh, the British, thought that Dresden was the last city they hadn't yet reached with Air Force. There were a few industrial installations near Dresden, which they initially intended to bomb, but the actual bombing run ended to be creating a firestorm. What's a firestorm? A firestorm is a particular kind of bombardment in which you create just enough heat so that you create a huge plume of fire that will actually uh, suck so much air in that people will get drawn into it and it literally destroys uh, the city and burns it to the ground. The British had discovered this by accident during bombing Hamburg in 1943 and then they began using it as a technique. Uh, And Dresden was an example. The problem that was that during the bombing night, additionally, refugees, civil refugees from the east were actually camping in the streets that night. So the the number of casualties was particularly high for a bombing raid of this sort. And uh, what made everything worse was that the Nazis right after used it as an enormous propaganda victory for them against the West, claiming that enormous All of the innocent, just all the, yes, the innocent uh, The uh, numbers were then much exaggerated, but they were bad enough. And in a much happier vein today, on the Elba, we've got these uh, historic steamboats. Going along to the Sächsische Schweiz, the Saxonian Switzerland, a wonderful natural park where you can go climbing, hiking, Beaver King going out. That's a nature area close by to this wonderful, very cultural city. Nicknamed the Switzerland of Saxony? That's indeed. Wow. So, Rich, that's. I just wanted to make sure you understood to give Dresden a fair shake. It's To answer your question, Prague is a wonderful city. If uh, Prague is the gateway to Eastern Europe, and probably everybody here would love to have a couple of days in, in Prague. Uh, it's quite touristy, but it's just really nice. Uh, Berlin is the happening city in Germany. Used to be Munich that everybody went to, but now I think most people think... Berlin is the most rewarding major city to go to. And halfway between Prague and Berlin, you've got a beautiful stop in Dresden. Thanks for your call. Thank you very much. Appreciate you helping me out. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Carolina Marburger, Fabian Reuger, and Holger Zimmer. We're talking about Germany. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And David's on the line in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. David, thanks for calling. Well, thank you, Rick. I'm a retired high school principal, and I've always taken students on exchange trips over to Europe, we have uh, 
II schools, sending students over to Frankfurt, which is a new sister city for Philadelphia. My question would be, what can I tell the parents about easing some of their concerns about their children traveling to Germany in light of the things that have happened in, in the recent past? I've got some thoughts on that, but I'm going to let my guides share from Germany to America what people might think if they're nervous about the uh, specter of terrorism. Holger. I guess we all kind of are shaken by what's happening, like all over Europe, but all over the world, basically. But the thing is, uh, let's face it, you know, we still travel. I'm from Berlin. We had the Christmas market incident. But hey, people do still go to Christmas markets. People, mm -hmm. it, it hasn't changed the style of what we do in Berlin. That's... What and, I think. and David is a principal who's committed to helping his kids better understand the world. And uh, I can imagine his frustration when parents, because they love their kids so much, are not comfortable with his adventure. And David may know that statistically those kids are safer going to Europe than they are staying home. You can try to help people stop confusing fear and risk. I just think it's so important that people keep on traveling for so many reasons. For one thing, It's safer now from a risk of terrorism on the road than it was 20 years ago when there were more people killed by terrorists in Europe. But today we have 24-7 news that makes it entertainment. Without trying, I guess, what they do is they reward the terrorists by making their little bombs become really big bombs because we stopped traveling and we were less likely to better understand the world. David, I, I just wish there was some way we could have people recognize that Terrorism is tragic, but it, from a risk, if you love your kids' point of view, it's, it's just as dangerous as car safety on the freeways. I mean, it's... That's true. And, and we, when we talk to the parents, we talk to them about... And we also talk to the students about being aware of their surroundings. You know, the same thing we talk about when we're taking the students to Center City, Philadelphia. But mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those issues, and you said, it's important for our young people mm -hmm. to, to see the world and to understand what the world is about. And these exchanges where they stay with families... This is not where they're staying in a hotel and they're going on a tour bus. Mm -hmm. They're traveling public transportation back and forth, staying with families. It's really a tremendous opportunity. We've been yeah. doing this since 1990. David, you've got a mission, and thank you for your leadership in helping kids get out there and uh, make friends with the rest of the world. You're preaching to the choir, but <laughs> it's good to hear <laughs> and hear the terms I could actually use with the parents. <laughs> yeah, good. All right, well, best wishes, David. And, and uh, whenever I think of service people in our country, I just think teachers are the ones that are so important right now. If we care about national security, we need to educate our kids and have them comfortable with this beautiful planet. Okay, well, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Michael's on the line in Denver, Colorado. Michael, thanks for your call. Oh, thank you for taking my call. What uh, my wife and I like to do is uh, follow your advice about getting to the back door, and what we really do is find places that are, are not in a lot of guidebooks. We uh, like to stay on farms where we can really get in touch with the people and the culture. Just for one example, we stayed in the uh, Black Forest in an apartment with a, a full kitchen, and private bathroom for $37 a night. So you, you also get in touch with the culture, but you save a lot of money. What we found interesting on this uh, trip was that the lady of the house baked 40 loaves of bread in a wood-fired oven, which was phenomenal. She showed us her quote-unquote refrigerator that was just a, a sort of a cabinet, a wooden cabinet in the kitchen, that had spring water flowing through the bottom of it to keep it cool. It would flow through the bottom and out into a 300-year-old uh, trough uh, on the, uh, right on the outside. 
so were you staying in a farmhouse, like a bed and breakfast? Yes, yes, yes. yes. This was right next to their house. They had built a, an additional building, and in that building they had this apartment. You know, we saw the cows, we saw them feeding the cows, uh, we talked to them about their garden. What is also interesting in these farm situations, where we stated many of them, is this multi-generational. So you have the grandparents that are not, you know, shoved off into the old folks' home, the grandparents, the parents, the kids, the, you know, it's, it's like three or four generations that you get to meet uh, face-to-face and learn from them and see how they live. Was this actually a bed and breakfast you booked, like, through Airbnb or something like that, or how did you find this place? No, no, no. You, you, you find these, there are different regional websites, and some of them are in German only, but this was a regional website for the Black Forest that is for farms. Let me get uh, some comments from our guests about that. Thanks so much for this uh, reminder that you can get away from the big cities and and not necessarily go to where your guidebooks tell you to go, but have a countryside experience staying on a farm with three generations right there and uh, have your fresh-baked bread pull out of the river stream-cooled box out back. Fabian, can you tell us uh, a little bit about an option you might recommend, you're from the Rhineland area, of actually getting away from the towns and staying on a farm? I mean, they're beautiful opportunities like this today because people have objects of real estate that they really want to make something out of that you know couldn't be rented out in the past. There are places where you can rent little castles, uh, which is gorgeous. I've myself stayed with friends for a week in a windmill in uh, Lower Saxony on the countryside. So you've been in this beautiful 18th century windmills. There are places where you can stay in tree houses now. And a lot of these are just available on regular German websites. I completely am for that, being a country girl. This sounds like a very fortunate uh, find, um, yeah. Michael. And I would always think that particularly Bavaria the Black Forest, or possibly the northern, because the northern northern farms are the large farms. As you're driving around, I notice there's some signs that say Farienwohnung, mm-hmm. and other signs say Zimmerfrei. What's the difference between that, Holger? It's just Zimmerfrei simply means there is room available, whatever kind of shape or form that is. Uh-huh. And Ferienwohnung is kind of a kind of pension, but more like you cook yourself. That's so it's it. like a week-long stay rather could than be a that, one-night stay. Could be that, but it could also be like one okay. night as well. And it's, it's actually great to know that not everyone goes to like Hamburg or Munich, which which is great, but you actually Germans do that as well a lot. Where would you recommend? Uh, Michael went to the Black Forest. That's one of the obvious places to go if you want rural countryside culture. If I want time off from the big city, we'd go straight north, basically to the Baltic Sea, go to a beautiful little island called Hiddensee. Hidden Sea. It's only available like by ferry. You can only How go. How do you spell that? H i d d e n. Hidden, as in hidden, and then Z as in lake. S e e. Uh, it's a beautiful, tiny, tiny island. No cars there. That makes it very nice. special. So you get there by ferry, and you completely can turn off. You just kind of put your feet in the water. There's like, you know, horses and carts, a lot of bikes around. Relax, and you don't have bus, you don't have cars, you don't have traffic. I'm afraid the typical American visitor in Germany only sees cities. The smallest town they're going to see is something on the Rhine, uh, maybe Rotenburg. And it's nice to, especially if you have a car, to get out and explore the countryside. I'll be spending some time in the Black Forest this summer, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Michael, thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking Germany with three German guides, Carolina Marburger, Fabian Reuger, and Holger Zimmer. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Patricia emails us from Germany, and she writes, I'm an American who's been living and working in Germany for the past six years. I'd love to encourage people to visit the lesser-known cities, towns, and attractions in Germany. Examples, Dinkelsbühel instead of Rotenburg, 
Lübeck, Mecklenburg, West Pomerania, Rhine castles like Sunek and Pfalzgrafenstein instead of Neuschwanstein. Well, Petrus, that is so wise to remind American travelers that there are hundreds of sites for every famous one that all the Americans are going to go to see. Holger, do you have a sense in, in Carolina yeah. and Fabian? What's, uh, I, what's I am so happy site? that somebody <laughs> is mentioning Lübeck. <laughs> Lübeck! Because <laughs> it is one of my mm. all-time favorite cities. The town of Thomas Mann, who's a great uh, German poet, is a UNESCO World Heritage City. Yes, it did also get bombed, but it was perfectly restored in its classical Hanseatic League red brick style beautiful churches, the old city gate used to adorn the old 50 German marks uh, bill. Oh, Every yes. German knows it. Lübeck, um, up in the north, uh, it's got this Hanseatic sort of uh, venerable stately nature. Yeah. And it used to be almost a superpower in the uh, 12th to 15th century as part of the Hanseatic League. And of course today you cannot sense that anymore because it's a small medieval city. Right. But just to behold that history while you walk the cobblestone streets of Lübeck is... Car Carolina, what would be a, an equivalent sort of uh, underappreciated attraction in Germany? Well, I'm a big fan of former East Germany um, that I think is overshadowed too much by Bavaria as much as I love Bavaria. So the areas of Eisenach, the beautiful green, hilly mountains of Thuringia and, of course, then Saxony. Where Saxony, you have, Thuringia, Eisenach, uh, yes, famous for Martin yes. Luther. Uh, I yeah. think they are much underappreciated. Beautiful little towns that really worth Eisenach a look. Eisenach is a delightful yes. spot. Holger? Another city that starts with L, like Lübeck, is Leipzig, and that's one of my favorites. Mm. It's about an hour, hour and a half away from Berlin, and it's wonderful. It is kind of like young. It's happening. It's very, like a lot of students there, uh, young people, and it's very cultured. Mm -hmm. And not only like it's kind of now where, you know, it's full of life and, you know, entertainment and bars, but it also has a very, very strong history in both in two parts. One is music, you know, Johann Sebastian Bach. Bach mm -hmm. was actually uh, having like uh, one of his last jobs there as the Thomas Cantor, like leading a choir. And he died there and you can actually visit his grave. So music, it's steeped in classical music. Mendelssohn Bartoli, you can visit his house there. So that's one thing. The other thing is Leipzig's role in the peaceful revolution in 1989 when East Germans got together. Uh, they still call it the, the Heldenstadt, the hero city, because that's kind of where people took to the streets, coming from like a church service, silently walking the streets, and they got more and more and more people every Monday, the Monday demonstrations that led to like tens of thousands being out in the street making sure, bringing actually the East German government finally down. And that's something that is still gives you goosebumps when you're there and you can visit Leipzig and have this, you know, old-time music, but also the modern history right side by side. I agree. Leipzig is, is an amazing place and very, very few Americans go there. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about Germany. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Anna is on the phone from St. Paul, Minnesota. Anna, hi. Hello. I recently had the opportunity to see a great exhibit on Luther and the Reformation, and I'm wondering what activities are being planned for the um, recognition of the 500th anniversary of Luther and the posting of the 95 Theses. Mm, I, was, I was tempted to go to Minneapolis to see that uh, exhibit about Luther, and uh, I understand there was wonderful, wonderful artifacts I would imagine most of those artifacts came from Wittenberg in the House of Luther. People will be going to Germany. All 2017 is the 500th anniversary 
of the uh, Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther, Wittenberg, where Martin Luther um, lived the last part of his life and was a professor and uh, did so much of his work. And uh, it's called the Luther House, I believe. And the artifacts there are just incredible. The other great stop is the Wartburg Castle, where Luther hid out and translated the Bible into German. I was impressed. I was just there last year. Wartburg has a wonderful a little art gallery and museum with some beautiful artifacts. Carolina, do you have some advice? Well, they definitely are. Uh, Luther 2017 is the website to look at. It's indeed a big, big Reformation year. So there will be indeed three major exhibitions. They will be in Berlin, in the Wartburg in Eisenach, and in, in Erfurt. And uh, so they are all different. And Wittenberg will have uh, a special exhibition on... Uh, 95 treasures and 95 people. So even more artifacts that are now brought to Wittenberg. And then um, in Berlin will be about actually the effects that the Reformation had on the world. It's particularly actually a special section on the United in States. In Berlin? In Berlin, in the Martin Gropiusbau in Berlin. Oh, exciting year, whether you're a Lutheran or not, when it comes yeah. to church history. And uh, Berlin, Wittenberg, and Erfurt, Eisenach. Eisenach, and the Wartburg Castle. Those would be mm. the big five if you're on the Luther Trail. Holger, any thoughts on Luther and, and sightseeing? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's kind of overlooked, like because you have this big sites for Luther, Eisenach, and Wittenberg. But for example, Weimar, a lot of the artifacts from Wittenberg were actually kept in the Weimar archive there mm. by the local princes. And he also taught in a church in the Herderkirche, and you can actually see the altar, the wonderful, famous Lukas Kranach altar from the 1500s that shows Martin Luther in the famous painting there. And it's basically open to see. It's like all year round. You can just go there once the church is yeah. open and actually have a maybe go and enjoy a service in a church that Luther preached as well. Anna, does that help? Excellent. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, and I hope you can go to Germany after being inspired by the exhibit there in Minneapolis and visit some of these places. Great. Thank you. And Louise is calling in from Albany in New York. Louise. Hi. My husband and I are both of German descent, so we spent many trips going to Germany, other places as well as Europe. But our last trip, our son, his wife, and their two daughters were in Bad Homburg for a period of time this past year. So, of course, we wanted to go see them. And my son, who was pretty good at you know, the German stuff, he said, let's go to some really interesting places. He took us to this amazing Cistercian monastery where they filmed the wonderful movie. Oh, I can't the, remember the, it now. The, the, the name of the rose. It was the monastery Eberbach, I believe. The history in there is amazing to go through. And adjoining to that is a uh, beautiful, beautiful winery. And it's like no one seems to know about this on the east side of the Rhine. Huh. And that's when we were there. I kept saying so to myself. So this is Eberbach. It's a Cistercian Eberbach. Abbey at E-B-E-R-B-A-C-H. You got it. And this is actually, is that it's worth It's about half an hour, 40 minutes away from Bad Homburg. When I watched that movie, The Name of the Rose, the first thing I thought is, I want to go to this place. Well, but, you could go. <laughs> Although, I have to tell you, I was so stunned when I was there. I was writing down all of the ancestors, who I thought may be one of ours, but I don't think they really are. But I kept writing down, oh, my God, I can't believe in this place. First of all, it's ancient. I mean, the Cistercians, it was ancient. And it's not, you know, it's not done over in any way. It was um, breathtaking. It sounds fantastic. All of these little... But it's also when you see that come and it's real, you say, 
oh, my goodness, this is amazing history. It's like anywhere you go, if there's some kind of connection, as you probably know, that it's like, whoa, this is too much. This is really great. My husband kept saying to me, okay, you finished with this now? You know? But I kept saying, no, not yet. <laughs> All right. Good wine. <laughs> Louise, thanks for the tip. We're going to have to run along now, but happy travels and thanks for sharing Hey, that. thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Take care. Have you guys been to this abbey? Uh, I've, I've, been once, I've been there with my parents a long, long time ago. It is indeed very stunning. It is where The Name of the Rose was filmed. And the the wine is more known these days because you find them actually in, it's one of the upper class wines you find in supermarkets. And Eberbach. it's really excellent. Yes, Ebersbach. Kloster Eberbach. Ebersbach. Very yeah. nice. The Name of the Rose. Yes. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about Germany with our guides Holger Zimmer, Fabian Reuger, and Carolina Marburger. Carolina, Fabian, Holger, danke schön. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Spoke one German word in that whole interview. <laughs> Each year, Rick Steves tour guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from more than 40 different vacations in Europe's best destinations, from Ireland to Greece, and practically everywhere in between. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.